Welcome to the All VX Podcast. I am Cody. I am your host. It has been a while since I've last recorded a podcast. Life happens, but it is my intent to bring you more content this year on different global security operations, global security matters, high threat and executive protection, and of course, my former career and agency that I am very passionate about, the Diplomatic Security Service of the U.S. Department of State. And with all of that said, this takes me to my next guest of the podcast, DSS Supervisory Special Agent Kayla Bokelman. Kayla not only served for nearly two decades as a special agent, but also now heads up the DSS Recruiting Office. And while she will tell us a, a few stories about her career, she's also here to give us some valuable information about the 2022 DSS Special Agent Vacancy Announcement that will be opening in the coming weeks it only opens once a year so listen in if you're interested in pursuing this career enjoy see y'all on the back side start off with uh you tell us about your career and uh take us take us away okay well you know i'm, I'm actually going to start off with before i joined ds because i think that's also important for people to to hear and know uh, all the different backgrounds that DS is comprised of. And I think that's uh, one of the one of the greatest things I like about DS is just the variety of of the people you meet that are agents. And then, then you start getting into the Foreign Service and in the embassies overseas and then your colleagues that you work with overseas. And I, I, I love that aspect of it. And that's what really drew me to uh, DS. So I started, I grew up in Nebraska. I always try to throw that out. Go Huskers, right? Um, I then joined Peace Corps. Uh, out of college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself. And I knew, I th- and I thought I wanted to live and work internationally. So I thought this is a great way to go try that. Plus it was on the government's dime. So that's another nice aspect. Uh, so I got, I got over there. I was in Zambia, uh, became a volunteer. Then I became a volunteer leader. Uh, then I started doing consulting for Peace Corps, um, where I se- uh, helped set up training sites. And part of setting that up was making sure that they were secure and that all of the, the volunteers and the staff were secure in our sites. So right there, I'm already starting to get into that security aspect. Um, I figured out that's what I really like to do. Um, I, I've always loved law enforcement and I always knew I wanted to live and work overseas and now I've got the best of both worlds. I actually go back uh, to the States, I get my master's in finance because I thought at the end of the day, I'm not 100% sure this is what I wanna do, but everything revolves around money. Um, if you know how to make a budget, manage a budget, spend the money properly, you're always going to do well. So I went back, got a finance degree, uh, MBA in finance, and then I started working uh, as a senior financial analyst at a bank. Um, it's about as exciting as, as it sounds right there, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I thought after a couple of years, I was like, yeah, no, this is killing me. And that's me, right? Other people love it, good for them. But uh, I always knew what I wanted to go back to. Um, and that's when I spent a lot of time doing a lot of research uh, to get into DS. You know, I, I, that was probably 18 years ago. And yes, of course, there was an inter- internet. I'm not that old, right? Um, but it isn't like now where there are a lot of resources. You have your group. There's lots of different groups. DS and the, and the department are better about, um, you know, making those connections and, and helping people out. Good, pe- You know, we want, we want diverse, good people, right? Diversity comes in a lot of different forms. And that, like I said earlier, as we're talking right before we started to record, I think it's that diversity that helps make us um, 
a, a better bureau and a better uh, department and, and has been the best, like I said, the best part of this job for me. Um, so I finally, I, I went in, I have the job opening, you know, pops open for a week like it has been. And, um, I, uh, I literally take time off from work and I, I put my application in and I, I was very fortunate to get through. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, trying, you know, this application process is, is, uh, can be difficult. And I, you know, that I always try to encourage everybody to, um, you know, if this is really what you want to do, keep at it. Right. Sometimes you don't succeed the first time. So, um, so after that, I finally get into DS. So now I'm, I have to go through BSAC, um, with my class, you know, and, and we all love our BSAC classes, right? Um, what class all, were you? The, 86. Okay. So, um, go through there, uh, finish up. And my first, my first assignment out was the San Francisco field office. Um, and I was lucky enough to go with one of my friends from BSAC, his name's Tim, and we're still friends to this day, actually very good friends to this day. Um, and so that's the other part of DS that I, I've truly enjoyed, you know, 18 years later, still really good friends with, with people. Um, so I went in DS, uh, sorry, in San Francisco, I was, uh, well, right out, right out, brand new agent, right? Uh, right out the gate. Hey, we got a 45-day TDY for you to Haiti. <laughs> Sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure, why not? Um, so I, I go to Haiti for 45 days. And, uh, you know, we were providing uh, protection for the embassy staff traveling to and from the embassy. Um, and then when we had to make uh, runs out to the the warehouse, we had to coordinate those runs with the UN because they were uh, prov- they were providing protection for that part of the city. Um, and so it was just a, a, a crazy time, right? But, uh, you know, the first, first right out the gate, like I said, um, you know, you're, you're literally having people's lives in your hands because you have to make sure that that minibus that is not, you know, it's a soft skin, right? It's not a, it's not armored in any way that we're, you know, we're all getting to and from our residents and to the embassy and, and to meetings with no issues. So, uh, but again, great, great experience, but it just really highlights the responsibility that agents are given immediately. Um, that you, you know, I always say that, you know, we don't, we don't, it is a sink or swim. We're not going to let you just sink but we give you training, but then you are expected to go out and perform. Um, and that's what, you, you know, that's the qualities that we're looking for in people that are, people are just going to step up. And sometimes you don't always have all the answers. And so you have to figure out what's, what's going on. Um, so that's that, you know, when, when you're looking at this job and you're thinking about applying and you you know, you're thinking about narratives to be, to be written, Think about that, right? Think about how do you handle stressful situations? Um, how do you think on your feet, you know, and, and get out there and give us those types of examples. Um, so, all right. So I come back after 45 days. Uh, I think I was asked to stay a little bit longer, but um, I, so, so I come back 45, 60 days later. I can't remember anymore at this point. Um, and then I'm asked to go sit on the human trafficking, the Bay Area Human Trafficking Task Force. And again, I, I came... I was a Peace Corps volunteer and then I was finance. So, you know, what do I know? Well, uh, you know, sitting on that, I, I quickly became friends with uh, two local PD officers, one from San Francisco, one from San Jose. And they really just 
took me under their wing and I learned so much from them. Right. I, I had to put my ego aside and, and be like, you know, I think sometimes, you know, we come out and we think we have to know everything and, and you're not going to know everything. Right. So put my ego aside. I, I learned so much from them. We end up doing, uh, breaking up a uh, human trafficking ring that was, um, women were coming from Taiwan um, and being used for purposes of prostitution. Some knew what they were getting into. Some didn't have any idea. I mean, we literally knew that they had been lied to about what was going to happen. Um, we also then offered them opportunities to get out. Some took it, some didn't. Um, you know, so that right there immediately, um, you're, you're, you know, again, working on a, a huge case and breaking up a ring operating internationally and helping victims. And we identified over, um, I think over 600 uh, fraudulently obtained visas. Wow. That's how good they were. They're, the document vendor that they were using, this ring, particular ring was using was really good. And that's why it took a while to figure it out. Um, so I, you know, so that was just one of the cases that we worked in that trafficking, uh, the Bay Area Human Trafficking Task Force. So uh, we worked several others. I worked with the FBI on a case. Uh, CBP called me in on a couple things. Um, and we really had a very nice and cohesive uh, group. And I think that's also a great thing about DS. I mean, we are small, so we, we have to collaborate by nature, um, collaborate with different law enforcement agencies, different prosecutors, uh, different, um, yeah, law enforcement at the local, uh, state, and federal levels. I think these anecdotal stories of, uh, of the investigations are super important because a lot of people look at our protection mission or maybe our security mission living overseas and DS isn't really well known for the most robust investigative, you know, capacity or ability or, or team. Um, and to hear that, I mean, you can get in the, the regular passport fraud cases that we get up from the passport office, but cases like this really highlight, um, you know, the, the extensive reach that we had, the partnerships that we have, uh, and I think for people that are looking to jump agencies that are already in maybe an 1811 position that still want to have that investigations, um, you know, portfolio for portfolio, for example, uh, these are all helpful. Yeah, I, th I think that's an important aspect that that people forget. We do investigations as DS agents. We do investigations. Uh, we do protection, protection of facilities, people and information. Um we also liaise, right? I mean, that's the other aspect of this is that we do a lot of liaison with our, our counterparts, um, whether those people are in the States or they're overseas, right? We can't get, in DS, we just can't get anything done if we're not willing um, to work with people. So, you know, people forget that that's what's going on. Um, you know, that they're, they're uh, I kind of lost my train of thought, I'm sorry. That, there, that we have basically four aspects to our job. We have investigations, we have protection, we have security, and we have liaison. And this is also important to think about when you are applying for the job, right? If, especially if, if you're coming from a background where maybe you've done a lot of security, but you haven't done any investigations. Um, but you might have, you just don't realize. You kind of just have to think about your background and what... Um, you know, what is applicable to our job, right? Like, like I said, I was a volunteer, then I volunteer leader, and then a, a, um, 
then I went into, sorry, this is, uh, it's been a really long day for me. Um, <laughs> finance. Um, fin- well, I went into um, consulting where That's I right. did, I did secure uh, the training sites, right? So again, I, I came with a lot of backgrounds. This is what we're looking for is people that have, you, you've done a lot, people have done more than what they realize is what I guess I'm trying to get at. And and they have to figure out how best to come up with those stories that articulate their background so that they can get through the process. All right. So back to back to San Francisco. All right. So I was there. I was in San Francisco for three years. Did a lot of uh, primarily San Francisco is a very heavy uh, investigation field office and and some protection and then some TDY. So I kind of got the whole gamut, which was nice. Um, I did end up staying three years in the field office instead of two because of the investigation out of Taiwan. Just, uh, just these are big cases. They take time. Um, but I never want to downplay the importance of, um, you know, just the, the, a simple, you know, we call them simple passport or visa fraud cases. At the end of the day, somebody's committed a crime and we need to investigate it and potentially prosecute. Those, those easier cases are what helped lay that groundwork for me to be able to understand and do bigger cases. Because at the end of the day, it's the who, what, when, where, why, right? Whether it's a simple case or it's more complex. All right. So after San Francisco, I then did a tour through our overseas protective operations, which is dealing with local guard forces and or our protective uh, contracts or the WIPs contracts, as a lot of people might know them. Um, I did local guard force contracts for uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. So I was lucky enough to actually go travel to all those countries. And I do say lucky enough because, um, you know, as, as part of this job, you are worldwide available. Um, and so I had a, an opportunity to go and we, we would uh, go and do uh, reviews, program reviews of the local guard force, forces and, and were the contracting companies uh, abiding by the contract and you know, providing the necessary security. Um, you know, so I've been to uh, Kabul, I've been to uh, Baghdad, um, in Pakistan, I went to Peshawar, Islamabad, Lahore, Karachi. Um, all of those were fascinating uh, and a little bit of nerve wracking at, time, at times, <laughs> in their own right. Um, so, but I learned a ton uh, during that tour. It was not an easy tour. Um, it, you know, there, there was a lot of stress. Um, sometimes people got into trouble on these contracts and then it, uh, we got called up in front of Congress occasionally uh, about it. Um, and so it, <laughs> it, uh, it, was, it was some long nights sometimes, but I learned so much about DS and what we do um, really on, on the other side, I, like I said, I've been doing investigations. Now I'm doing local guard force contracts. And, um, that experience then took me, uh, really helped propel me to my next, my next posting, which was in Mozambique. So Maputo, Mozambique. So I went and, uh, first I had to learn Portuguese. Uh, I always like to say I, I tortured my, my, uh, professors for uh, about six months. Um, but this, you know, uh, where else, what other job pays you to go learn a language, sure. right? I mean, that's, that's amazing. So go to finish out language, then head to 
uh, Mozambique. And there, you know, now it's my first ARSO, Assistant Regional Security Officer. I know everybody knows that, but I'm going to just say it anyway. ARSO tour. And um, I was really fortunate to uh, have an RSO that was outstanding. Um, his name's Eric. And uh, he just, he and I, again, are friends to this day. And he he really just taught me a lot about what it would take to be successful in the embassy environment. Because when you get over there, it becomes a different beast, right? You're, you're, I was, I was at the field office and I was at headquarters and now I'm, I'm out at an embassy. And now you're working truly with all uh, the other foreign service officers um, in all the different uh, cones or bureaus. Um, we also had USAID and CDC and MCC and we had everybody there in development and Peace Corps as well. Um, and so how does that all function in, in an embassy and in the country team meetings and, and things like that? So, and while Mozambique uh, seemed, you know, we'd call it a mid-sized post, it was still about, you know, there were still 120 uh, official Americans plus all their families. So now you have 120 housing and residences that you're, in, you're, you're responsible for. And, you know, so it, it was really the other side of it. How do you secure an embassy that is actually spread among seven buildings and then all of the residents? Um, so there's a lot of coordinating and a lot of um, collaboration because you don't always, you know, you can't just say in a country like that, I'm the RSO, so what I say goes. Um, so uh, you have to you have to spend your time, <clears throat> you know, thoughtfully putting policies together um, and and then implementing them with with everybody at the embassy. Yeah, I think that's a. I've talked to people who've been aerosols and talk about the job and everything, but we don't often talk about residential security and the time that it takes, uh, you know, to to uh, work through a residential security program as one of your. Uh, uh, were you the only ARSO? Uh, the first year I was, and then uh, okay. the second year we were thankfully got a second RSO who ARSO who I'm also really good friends with. Yeah, um, as well. You get to so. share the duties then at some point yes. because it comes pretty cumbersome when you handle all these different security programs, particularly if you have, uh, you know, this many people living off compound, no one on compound or a few on compound. Uh, What were your threats in Mozambique? What were you facing over there? So it was um, very, you know, high crime rates, um, open borders. We we really didn't, they really um, didn't have always a great track on who was coming in and out. Um, You know, it's very much a a developing country. you know, they did the best they could. Um, we really enjoyed, you know, I really enjoyed working with Mozambique. I think we all did. Um, but, you know, they, they are an economically poor country. And, and just, I believe, like, probably maybe 15, 20 years prior, they had just come out of a civil war. I mean, they had a whole generation that just kind of got bypassed, unfortunately. I hate to put it like that. That's a terrible way, I think, in putting it. But, you know, when you have a civil war, people aren't going, kids aren't going to school, things like that. So, um, but they, you know, wonderful people, really nice people, uh, helpful, generous, but they have, you know, they do have, they had security issues like that. So um, there was, and if you go into the news now, it's not quite as bad anymore, but the North uh, did have some um, instability. 
And so we were even seeing it uh, then when I was there in 2010 to 2012, and it kind of really broke out uh, the past couple, past really past year, year and a half. Um, so, you know, we, we were dealing with situations like that. And then we were dealing with an embassy uh, that was really actually three houses cobbled together. So it wasn't even actually, you know, when you, what you think about when you think about embassy compounds right now, it really wasn't that at all. The the road, the main one of the main roads was only twenty five yards from the building. We had no no offset. What uh, what type of government does Mozambique have? Was it democratically elected or? It it was yeah it is it is even now democratically elected. Um, but you know they like I said they hadn't really they'd just come out of a civil war not that long ago. Um, so they're still trying to, you know, get their feet together or get, get their feet on the ground. Right. So, sure. Um, but yeah. All right. Anything cool happened um, there? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> oh, there's a ton of cool stuff, right? Give me one. Um, so um, one, huh? Well, you know, I, I think with Mozambique, so we, we unfortunately had a, um, a Peace Corps volunteer who was sexually assaulted and both the RSO and myself were like, we're not, you know, and, and the DCM and the ambassador and the head of Peace Corps, it's like, nah, that doesn't happen. We're going to go after, you know, we're going to try to go after this person. Um, so the, the Peace Corps security officer in country, he and I got together, we flew up to the area. Uh, we worked with the local police and um, the prosecutors found the person, uh, got him arrested um, and then we worked uh, with the victim as well. Um, she uh, came back to provide testimony. Um, actually, as soon as she walked into the courtroom, um, he just he just gave up. It, you know, that was the end of that. Um, that was it was over. And he got 17 years. Uh, so we were very happy about that. Um, and was so, this, was this a Mozambique national or an American? Yes, yes it okay. was. No, it was a Mozambique national. Okay. Um, and so we got him 17 years and that was, you know, that was huge. And sure. we were very proud of that. Um, and that also, you know, that was such an amazing case to me um, because just everybody involved um, truly cared. Um, not that they don't, you know, I'm trying to you know, make, making judgments anywhere else, but it just, everybody truly cared and, um, worked very hard on this. And, um, you know, I was, when I was up country, the RSO was taking on all the duties, right? Not just his, but mine too. Um, the DCM and the ambassador, you know, speaking with people everywhere and um, officials, government officials everywhere. And, you know, just like, we're not letting this go, right? This is, this is something we would never let go. So, um, and then uh, the victim herself was, you know, you want to talk about strength that she, she was amazing. She was amazing. Um, so it just, it was, it was, uh, you know, it's not, a, it's not a, you know, you're never happy about anything like that. Never, ever. But just when something does happen to watch a community come together was truly remarkable to me. Um, the other thing that had happened is the judge of the case had been on one of our international visitor leadership programs. Um, and she, she knew, um, you know, she's very progressive. Um, she understood where we were coming from, understood that about, you know, taking on women's rights. Um, and it just shows the importance of cross collaboration with our, 
you know, with our colleagues around the world. Um, Because again, when we're overseas, we don't have any authority to arrest people, right? We can't just, you know, regardless of what the TV shows show and, and I know your, your folks on this, this, know stuff like this. Um, But, you know, we have to collaborate. You have to be able to, to work well with people from all different types of backgrounds. And that's really important of, of our job and, and, you know, coming when you come in and doing it to be able to talk to people. Yeah. You mean to tell me NYPD's SVU unit doesn't go over to Cuba and jump out of vans and grab these people and then bring them back all of a sudden to New York? Does it work that way? (laughs) No, it doesn't. That's called a rendition. I don't think it works that way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I try to tell my wife these things. It's like, it doesn't work. I'm not watching this. It doesn't work that way. And she's, can't you just watch it? Uh, But anyway, I'm always like, come on, there's so much paperwork behind that. that yeah, no, never right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another thing to highlight. Maybe you don't want to highlight the paperwork, but, uh, but yeah, that, that comes with the job. So no, it's, you're hundred percent right. It just, it comes with the job. There is paperwork, um, but it's worth it in the, in the end. Um, you know, the other part about Mozambique is, you know, what I also want to stress is how great it was as opposed for families, for couples and for singles. Um, and that's, that's something that, you know, you look for when you're, you're bidding, um, how, what is the post? What is, what is it like there? And, um, schools were amazing. My kids still, this is hands down. Um, I have two kids, uh, Mozambique was their favorite and, um, the school is great. The community was great. Um, we did have to travel to South Africa about every four to six weeks to get, uh, fresh milk and, uh, fresh fresh meat really. And I mean, let's be real, South Africa. So the wine. Yeah. And, uh, but having said that we traveled through Kruger national park four to six, every four to six weeks. We were well, traveling. There's, a, through there's a silver lining. I was going to say, <laughs> these are some of the hardships and, uh, there's your silver lining. Cause I feel like everyone has a, has some silver lining. That's good. Oh, uh, so a hundred percent. That's it. And, and that's it. That's part of the job, right? Um, you know, if you're someone who's, expecting to be perfect. It's just that that's not, it's never going to, no job is perfect. First of all, um, spoiler alert. And, uh, second of all, you know, there, you have to know how to make the best of everything because some things work, some things don't. I mean, Eric and I were sometimes scratching our head, how to figure out how to, you know, fix a Delta barrier when that's not our specialty, right. Or how do we even get the parts or, you know, the SEO and the STS are sitting in, in South Africa and can't get up to us for a couple of weeks. We still need barriers at work. Um, so it's, it's figuring out uh, what to do yeah. <laughs> under really sometimes unusual circumstances. Using those critical and sometimes creative thinking skills. Will, creative, will help yeah. yeah. And some spit and grit and yeah, some duct tape, sure. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. What was next? All right. After that, um, I went to Baghdad. Actually, funny enough, Eric also went to Baghdad. So about six months later, I followed him. So it kind of looks like I'm following him, but I'm sure. Uh, what, just, what years? What years were there? I was there. Uh, I got there 2013, like January 2013. And then I left in April of 2014. We just missed each other. I left in 12. Oh, I went to Ho Chi Minh City in 2012. Yeah. We nice. Yeah, so. Nice. All right. Oh, God, we just missed each other. So, um, so that... So I, I was in Baghdad for just over a year. Um, that was unaccompanied. So, of course, that's a hardship 
tour and, and it was hard, right? I mean, it's hard for many reasons, but also, um, very rewarding in its own right. Um, I, I met a lot of people. Uh, that was one thing, right? It was just a ton of people there, right? On the, on the, on the compound. Um, and then I got moved, uh, when I first got there was, they weren't sh- quite sure what I was going to do. Um, I'll be honest. I kept, I, I didn't keep it secret that I had done local guard force, uh, contracts, <laughs> but I wasn't looking to do that again. Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> and, so I was like, hmm, shh. so I didn't, uh, I didn't highlight that. Um, however, I, I quickly got, um, put into, I guess they didn't know what else to call it. So they called it special projects. I just kind of fixed things that needed to be fixed, um, or took on projects. Nobody else was willing to, to take on. And then, um, very quickly I got moved into, um, to be one of the special assistants to the senior RSOs, the, the senior RSO and then the deputy senior RSO. Um, and so just dealing with the RSO program in a high threat environment like that at, I always like to say the, the senior RSOs were at the hundred thousand foot level. I was more like at the 50,000 foot level. Um, and just all the different issues that came up, whether it was, you know, our, our canines out at the checkpoints of the IZ, um, to, they wanted to implement a, a, a biometric type, um, system to to issue iz badges and we're like nah, we're not putting our fingerprints down um to uh you know dealing with um unfortunately we had a couple of deaths uh on compound of some contractors and so then we had to deal with the iraqi government on getting death certificates and getting consular section out to um you know out to to places to you know out to doctors and and getting signatures and things like that so um, it was really crazy to me, the amount of, of, uh, issues that, that could be dealt with at that, you know, in, in, a, in a compound like that, not to mention all of just the problems that, you know, you put thousands of people together, just problems happen, right? Let's put it that way. <laughs> I know about them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that many people together in an environment where you can't really leave. I mean, you can leave for, if you're in doing work, you're in the protective ops or whatever, but you're there. You're pretty much stuck yeah. there. Most people are. And the pressure of the environment, the pressure of the work, you work pretty much every day. Uh, that'll add up. It, it does. It does. And people, um, you know, I think, I think it's, it's hard to truly understand that until you get into it. I think if you have a, an idea of what you're going into, that helps. Um, but until you're you're there, it, it is difficult. And then, like you said, working all the time. And even when you might have a day off, somehow you're still, you, you, no matter what, you're always thinking about it. Um, uh, I do remember one time realizing that perhaps my, my Olympic dream for running wasn't completely over when the duck and cover went off. Mm-hmm. And I, we were, we were sitting out after work one day and, and we're out, you know, out, out there and, uh, you know, just, just, just enjoying ourselves, maybe a couple drinks. Uh, maybe one, um, and the duck and cover went off, and uh, I pretty much outran everybody. Yeah, I didn't matter what shape they were in or anything else. I, I still managed to outrun them. So you know, my sprinting career at that point maybe still had some life, um, but uh, yeah. So I, I I truly appreciated 
at first it is kind of difficult to get into that environment, but by the end, I, I truly appreciated, not that I wasn't ready to go, I was, um, but I truly appreciated, um, you know, the, the relationships I had developed, um, the people I had gotten to know and all the work I had gotten to do, um, was to me, um, very rewarding in, during my career. And so, uh, I don't want anybody to think, oh yeah, I mean, it is tough, but it's also very rewarding. Yeah. I would argue that many, maybe most of my followers would be interested in that story and, and high threat protection going out to Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Well, I don't know. I don't know about Afghanistan anymore, but, uh, but, uh, you know, those, those environments are at least uh, many of the followers I have, that's, that's what they're looking to get into. And as part of it, they understand, right. you know, the whole, right. the whole thing, but um, and so you went to Costa Rica next. Right. You know, just real quick to, to follow up on that. Um, you know, that, and that's, that's great if that's what they, they want to do. I, I would just also, you know, it, you know, you just say, Hey, look, don't, don't forget about the other aspects that we do. I didn't think I was ever going to get into investigations the way I, I did. And in fact, a lot of my career has been actually spent in investigations. Um, I thought I would be more on the security side with the embassy. And, and, I, and I've done that. Don't get me wrong. I did that. But I really, I really enjoyed the investigations. And that's where I found I've done quite well. So they should, you know, it's great that that's what you want to do. And there, there's lots of opportunities, right, either between the hardship tours and MSD um, and even some TDYs. But always, you know, keep in mind, we also want well-rounded uh, agents. Um, and so the other part is, is like, you know, the other part I, I really liked about uh, um, Baghdad was just how, you know, yes, there's a, we have a lot more say. That's great. But we're, we're also there to get a job done. And then part of that job is, is diplomacy. And to be able to say that you were part of that diplomacy making during, you know, the time that you were there, the time that I was there uh, is, is extremely personal and special to me. So um, it is a great experience. Yeah. And, and to your point, I, I, I was probably one of those that I'm talking about. I wanted to get in. I was thinking I was a former Marine, right? So I was thinking MSD. Mm -hmm. uh, I was going to do high threat. And I learned when I got in, I didn't want to go MSD. I wanted to do the traditional post. I liked Baghdad. I had a good time there, <laughs> but I really did Baghdad because I wanted to catapult me to another traditional post. And same reason I went to Erbil. I wanted another good assignment. So, you know, you, you have this mindset of, of, what you really want to do. But when you start understanding, like you said, all the different, uh, the different jobs out there, um, you're, 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 it oftentimes changes your path of, of what you think is most important. And, and that could happen with whether it's because it changes in your family life or personal life, you name it. But for me, it was just, I just saw what we we're doing everywhere or everywhere else. And I wanted to do that. I want, I like the traditional assignments, you know, so things That's, change. And it does. It does. It changes. And it's, that's, that's great. Right. I mean, it, it, it is always surprising when you come in thinking one way and then you're like, Hey, wait a second. I, I really like, I really yeah. like traditional. I really like investigations. So um, that's awesome. And that's a great, again, you know, I don't have to sell DS on your, on your, on your folks. Um, but that is, that is a great aspect of it. Um, so yeah, after, after Baghdad, um, I hope this isn't actually video because my chair keeps going down. Um, after Baghdad, I went to Costa Rica and um, I became what we call the ARSOI, so the uh, investigator. And that is part of the Overseas Criminal Investigations Program. 
that we have. And right now that program, um, very near and dear to my heart, spent five years in that program. So uh, they have, I believe, about 134 agents overseas, 134 positions for sure. I'm not sure all of them are, you know, not maybe not be particularly filled at this moment near they're waiting for something or, you know, things happen. Um, so 134 positions. Um, and uh, I was lucky enough to score Costa Rica. So back I went to language and uh, got to torture the Spanish teachers now for uh, nine months, actually. So that was awesome. I'm sure they would say the same thing. Um, but then I, I went out there and that was a three-year assignment. So, you know, I was thinking, oh, you know, Baghdad, I'm tired, worked all the time. Costa Rica is going to be so great. I mean, language, yeah, you know, I'm tired. Costa Rica is going to be a nice break, you know, and um I was so busy. <laughs> so, um, you know, I stepped in, I was a second uh, agent in, in there. So the program was still relatively new, still had a lot of contacts to make. Um, and we, you know, Costa Ricans, I, can't, I just can't say enough wonderful things about Costa Ricans. They, they truly are amazing, uh, well-educated, kind, um, funny um, and so, you know, just getting to work with, uh, some of them, has truly been a highlight. Um, and that's the other thing about this job is you, you know, you're working with people at the top of their game. I mean, I'm working with one, you know, I worked with one of the top prosecutors, um, on several cases. Now I did, I did write about one of my cases where we broke up a international child pornography ring and I've done other podcasts on this. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that. Um, but we can we can still talk about that, of course, because uh, it is it, you know it's a big case and it's important. And um, but really, the prosecutor Angie Trejos, uh, truly, just amazing. And uh, working not just that case, working multiple human trafficking and human smuggling cases, um, where we dealt with uh, at one point when, early on when I first got there in 2015, uh, Cubans that were flying into. Ecuador, then making their way up through the Southern route. Um, and because of her connections and my connections, we were able to collaborate with uh, AeroSOIs in Ecuador, Colombia, sorry, I should say AeroSOIs and their prosecutors in Ecuador, Colombia, um, Guatemala, and Mexico on that case as well. Um, so that we didn't just, you know, of course we could take down our portion of the, of the, of the route, but what good does that do if everybody else is still working? And so that was important to collaborate. Um, and so that uh, we shared information so that, uh, you know, the AeroSOIs and, the, and their, their uh, prosecutors as well then took down sections of that route. Um, and so that was a, a great case. So, you know, just the people that you get to work with, um, truly remarkable. Um, but then we also, I worked with uh, another colleague uh, who was in Costa Rica's Interpol. His name was Sergio. And uh, he and I are still good friends to this day. Um, you know, and we were we worked on uh, returning uh, fugitives that were wanted in the United States. Most of them were American, but occasionally there would be some other third country nationals uh, that we would get back. Um, and I, I was collaborating very closely with uh, my office and I were collaborating closely with uh, postal inspectors regarding uh, the call center scam rings, right? They'd be working out of, it'd be Americans actually that come down to Costa Rica, set up uh, these, these call centers to then scam primarily elderly people out of money. 
So he would make the case on the on the, um, the postal inspector that I work with. He would make the case on the, the U.S. side, and then we would go, uh, and then we all work together on the extradition papers, and then Sergio and I would go out and find these these people and get them sent back. Um, so that was a great case. And, we, and in total, we probably sent back about uh, 15 people for that. Um, and then you just have other random uh, fugitives that would be down there. Uh, other agencies would would hit us up for to find their their, their folks, or we'd come across them um, to, through a variety of different ways and uh, get them sent back either through extradition, uh, the extradition process, or uh, you know, they, if they were out of status in Costa Rica, then we could get them on immigration charges and sent back. And, and in total, we sent back about 75 people during the three years I was there. So just a, a lot of work and a lot of different uh, cases. It wasn't just um, your, your simple passport fraud or, or simple visa uh, fraud. It was very complex cases in different ways. Yeah, that's awesome impactful cases that matter. It is. And, and, you know, but I, I had, you know, again, I, I didn't do it on my own. Um, it, it really took a, a combined effort of my CFI, the consular section, our great relations with uh, Costa Rica, Costa Rican federal agents and prosecutors, and then also immigration officials. But, you know, the, the embassy itself, the, the you know, we had great relations all up and down uh, the line, you know, ambassador, political section, INL, uh, International Narcotics and Law Enforcement, they had great relationships. Um, and so DEA was there. We had a great relationship with them. So it, I, I purposely saying this over and over because that's what it's about, right? Working together uh, to get things done um, because that's what you have to do um, all the time in this job. Um, you know, there's the, there is definitely the tactical side, and there's the knowledge side, but it's it's also the the people. Yeah, uh, every, every podcast I find a way to work this in because I've said it on my YouTube videos. But it, relationships matter, um, and uh, that is very important, particularly when you go to post and you're not working with just DS agents. You're working not working with just law enforcement, but relationships matter, and relationships are oftentimes how you get done, get things done, or the efficiency of which you get things done. Um, so that matters. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. So after that, I, I actually came back to overseas. I came back to DC. So I've been out, uh, my family and I had been out for about eight years. So I came back to DC into overseas criminal investigation program. Um, I was acting branch chief for operations, which then gave the operational support to all the agents out in the field. Um, I did that for almost two years. Um, also did some special projects there. Uh, you know, just, just things that need to be done. Right. Um, and that was again, a great time, um, to then see it from DC side and headquarters side to, to understand what was going on policy wise that we need to, to do budget wise that we needed to do to better support our agents out in the field. And I know that sounds very uh, wonky, um, and it kind of is, um, I admit, I like to be more operational than I like to be the, the, the wonky. Um, but it, it matters, right? It matters that, uh, we have a budget that can properly support all of our investigators, um, all of our agents overseas, right? These things matter, um, getting our name out there, 
um, and what we're doing and the different things we are doing. Um, you know, that it's, it, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we make the news when something goes wrong at an embassy. Um, security isn't what it should be. Um, or something happens and it's very obvious that, you know, there was something wrong. So um, we try to, you know, but there's always the flip side for every every one of those stories. We have to remember there's there's 270 embassies and consulates around the world. If one, just because something bad happens at one, that, that means there's 269 that are still going okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, and and so that was, I, I truly actually enjoyed, I had, you know, it is funny to say you enjoyed a headquarters tour, but I then truly, I did truly enjoy the headquarters tour. Um, and then providing that support to the agents and just all the amazing things um, that agents are, are doing out um, overseas that never do make the news, right? Um, the different uh, tr- trainings they were giving, uh, the different, you know, we, were, we, we basically, um, you know, again, people don't know this. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't have the latest stats for OCI. I should have, I guess I should have done that. Um, but, uh, you know, basically we're returning about a fugitive a day. So 365 fugitives a year. So, um, you know, and a lot of people don't realize that they, you know, watch TV and they think it's, you know, other, they think it's the FBI, they think it's HSI or something. And they, they do return their own fugitives. Don't get me wrong. But if it's not their fugitive, then it, it actually gets turned over to us and we deal with it. Um, so, you know, I, lots of times I was on the phone with a local PD (laughs) and I would be like, Hey, your fugitive just walked in. What do you want me to do with them? And they'd be like, what can we do? And so, you know, there's a, like I said, there's a variety of ways. Some, sometimes it was through the extradition route, the official extradition route with all the paperwork. And sometimes it was, they were out of status in Costa Rica. So Costa Rica would send them back on immigration charges. Um, so it just, it just depends on what was, what's going on. But, you know, we have agents doing that all over the world. And uh, it always was, was amazing. And just the number of human trafficking cases they were doing, human smuggling, and then the document fraud cases. And the entire time, we also have all the agents um, securing the, the embassies in, in a lot of, uh, it, well, every, obviously every post. But even when I was in Costa Rica, there was um, three other agents there that were doing all the traditional ARSO work. Um, and so just kind of unsung, in my opinion, unsung heroes throughout the world. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great assignment. Uh, not just Costa Rica, because that is as well. Uh, <laughs> well, but, I mean, there was, you know, there was the beaches. Yeah, you real. didn't talk about that. <laughs> you talked about the job and how the lifestyle was there. Uh, <laughs> I hear it's, uh, well, I've been a couple of times. I hear it's a good assignment. It's a good place. Uh, I actually, in my current job, I cover Costa Rica. And uh, if it wasn't for COVID, I'd have been there. By now, uh, hopefully, I get to go out this year. Oh, that yeah, uh, it's you know, like I said, the, the Costa Ricans are really just wonderful people, uh, great partners um, in a lot of different aspects, and they care they care about um, their country, they care about each other, um, and so it's it's a very natural fit. Yeah. So, um, and yes, the beaches are fantastic. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and then they have the mountains and volcanoes and hot springs and zip lining. 
Yeah, okay. So you're just rubbing it in because (laughs) it's, and I don't want to put a damper on this, but it's very competitive to get to Costa Rica. (laughs) So your chances, eh, I don't know. I know I've been on it a couple times. Uh, I don't think it was the eye gig, but out of Baghdad, I'm certain I've been on it. And uh, not even a second look, you know, uh, so they didn't want me there. Yeah, no. Uh, it, I, uh, very fortunate, very fortunate to, to get there. Um, so yeah, so there was that. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, and that's a part that, you know, also want to just talk about all of my assignments, uh, the countries we've lived in is just the travel that you get to do, whether that's in country or, you know, neighboring countries. Um, it's, it's a nice perk of the job, right. Um, when, when you are able to have that weekend off, and then you're able to go uh, with your family or with your spouse or with, with or by yourself, even if uh, to just to, to go and see places you just never thought you'd get to see. Yeah. Yeah. That so, certainly is a perk. It, it is. I, you know, speaking of beaches, if you get a chance to go to Mozambique, uh, they have some very, very nice beaches as well. So don't, don't pass that up. If you get a chance. See, that's good Intel though. Cause I mean, people think Africa, they don't, they don't think beaches necessarily that they're beautiful beaches. I mean, uh, there's a lot out there. Even, I mean, I've traveled just as you, 40, mm-hmm. 40 plus countries probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there's places that I never thought would be so beautiful um, or so enjoyable, whether it's culture, cuisine, people, you name it. And uh, right. and they're out there. There are a lot of gyms that people don't know about. That's just it. Um, you know, people would think, why did, you know, quick story, when I was bidding, uh, at that time, I was looking at Mozambique and I was looking at Turkey. I ultimately decided to go to Mozambique and people thought I was crazy. And I thought, well, if I learn Portuguese, I have a chance to go to Brazil. I have a chance to go to Portugal, hopefully, you know, or I, I, even Angola. Right. But if I learn Turkish, I can go to Turkey again. And that's great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just thought looking forward, I thought, you know, I think I'd rather learn Portuguese and I, I, I always liked Africa. So I was like, okay, let's Southern Central Africa. Let's go there again. So, um, and it really turned out to be a hidden gem, just like you said. That's some good forward thinking with the language and, uh, and planning. <laughs> I mean, it, it happens. And this is a way you can get some of these nice posts, these now positions. If you're, if you're uh, for our listeners, if there's a now position, meaning they need to fill it now for whatever reason, uh, someone didn't show up, they resigned, whatever reasons there are. If you have that language, you're going to be competitive because they need it now. Uh, yes. So uh, well, that's good. And I know a couple guys that did that. They got the language and sure enough, they got a new spot because they had a now. Right. We're not, we're not creative in what, how we call things now. It's a now position. Yeah. We know. <laughs> um, but that, that's a hundred percent right. So um, that's, that's, uh, that is what, what I did there. Um, so, and I, I'm happy to talk all day about, about my different assignments. Um, but I also right now, so after OCI, I was asked to take over and head up recruitment for the Bureau of, of Diplomatic Security. So I recruit and my team and I, I have a great team. Um, we recruit for the four, uh, four foreign service positions that we have, the agents, the security engineer officers, the security technical specialists, and then our diplomatic careers. Um, right now, of course, we're, we're making a push because the special agent announcement, vacancy announcement will open on or about January 26th. We've actually been cleared to give a date. Um, so that's nice. It will be, 
it will only be open for one week like it normally is. Um, so, you know, this is why we want to get people thinking about it now and, and ready now. Um, so that when that vacancy announcement opens, you have a week and you're not trying to rush right at the end to, to get things in because that's when mistakes are happened. That's when something will be overlooked. Um, and then your application won't go forward. So, um, you know, it's, it is a very competitive process. Um, we'd get thousands of applications. So you want to make sure that you stand out um, and that you do it right. And I'm going to be honest, a fair number of people, I don't have exact metrics, but a fair number of people wash out of the application process because they didn't submit their transcript. They didn't submit their transcript with their name, the school's name, the date they graduated, the, you know, the things that are required from the vacancy announcement, right? So make sure that when the vacancy, there's two things. Make sure that when the vacancy opens that first day, you go in there and you read it and you read it. I, I would suggest reading it three, four, five times. Like, so you get everything. Nothing is missed. Um, you know exactly what's needed. Uh, vacancy announcements don't change much year to year, but they do change a little bit. Um, and so you want to make sure that you don't overlook something in that, or that you forgot something that is now required, right? I can, I can go through and I can tell you everything you know, that's needed, you know, uh, you know, on your transcripts, right? You need your name, you need the school's name, you need the degree, and you need the date awarded. If one of those four things is missing, that ends your application, right? Is that tough? Yeah, it is kind of tough. And I agree it's tough, but it, it matters doing things correct, right? When you're talking about security of an embassy, you're talking about big cases, you're talking about a small case, it matters that you do things correctly, right? So kind of look at it as this is your first foray into those things, right? Some things matter. Some things don't matter as much, but these this matters. Um, so make sure you have what's needed. The other thing is, obviously, you have to be a U.S. citizen. You do have to have your undergraduate degree, um, and it has to be awarded before before the last day of that vacancy announcement. So if it opens on the 26th, it's going to close on February 1st, basically. If your degree says you graduate, it was given to you on February 2nd, then you do not have your degree. Okay. Don't apply. You will not meet the minimum qualifications. And if you don't meet the minimum qualifications, it's over. Your application for that time around is over. Um, and we do get people that will apply thinking that, oh, well, I'm going to graduate in May, so it's fine. I mean, they won't even get to it till then. You don't, it doesn't go any further. And then you have to wait 52 weeks before you can apply again. Um, and so we just really, I really want to highlight that and stress that. Make sure you, you read those minimum qualifications and that you, um, that, that you meet them, right? So a U.S. citizen, you're worldwide available. Uh, you have to be at least 20 to apply and not more than 36, 37, really. 37 is that cutoff by the time you're appointed. Now, there are veterans preference exemptions. I can't go into every exact actual exemption. You'll have to go in and read. And there's a link there that takes you to where you can go and, and figure out, you know, what exactly are those exemptions. And if you have any questions, there will be an email address in the application that you can, you can uh, write to. All right. You do have to pass a pre-employment uh, physical readiness test. 
Um, and, and that is in there. Um, and the, it was actually, it's still actually in last vacancy announcement that's still up on our, on the careers website. So at careers.state.gov forward slash DS, you go to the bottom of the page, you'll find a special agent. You'll, you'll find all the categories on the, the different foreign service specialists, specialist positions. Click on the link for special agent and in there at, at the very top, you'll see a little link about the physical readiness test. Make sure that you, you know what it is. You know how we do fit, how we do push-ups, how we do sit-ups. I mean, you have to be able to pass the 1.5 mile run. I'm not going to judge you on your running style. Um, <laughs> unless it's really crazy, then we might say something. Um, but we're not judging you on that. Um, but, you you know, it was terrible. I actually proctored a, a physical readiness test for someone who passed the whole process. This is all this person had to do was now come in and do the physical readiness test and had never watched the video, didn't know how we did push, how we did push-ups and where our hands needed to be for sit-ups and couldn't do the sit-ups. So that's like, Oh, don't, don't be that person. Right. So it's a, that's a tough story. Um, but you know, make sure you know how we do it. Um, doesn't matter what you did previously. doesn't matter who you're with previously, how we do it. Um, you also have to get your med clearance top secret. You got to be able to get your top secret uh, clearance with SCI, pass a favorable uh, suitability review. Um, and this is important because what happens is, is in that minimum qualifi- qualification checklist, it's going to say, are you a U.S. citizen? Yes. Do you have your undergrad degree? Yes. Are you the right age? Yes. Foreign Service Medical? Yes. Blah, blah, blah. And then it's going to say, have you ever failed a suitability review to review panel? And guess how many people put yes? Really? Fair number of people put yes. Mm-hmm. And my guess is a lot of you, a lot of people haven't actually had to ever go through a, a suitability review panel, so you have never even had the chance to fail it. Um, but they, as soon as you say yes, you failed it, you're out for two years. Wow. Um, so, and then finally, you do have to be able to testify in court, right? If you can't testify in court, you can't be an agent. So, if there's something in your background. Uh, that precludes you from ever being able to testify in a case. Sorry, you have to find something else. Um, so that's those are those minimum requirements. Please make sure everybody just make sure you 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 read them because the testifying in court actually came into existence last year. So they could add another one that they actually haven't told me about. Um, so make sure that's what I'm saying. You have to be able to you know you have to make sure you've you've carefully read everything. Um, those are kind of the pitfalls when applying. Um, the other, the other thing I would say when that we talk about in recruitment is make sure that you go on to the website and you read about the twelve dimensions and uh, printed out. Because of course I can't remember all twelve, right? That's a lot. That's twelve. That's a lot of dimensions. Um, but you want to go onto careers.state.gov and in the search put twelve dimensions, and it pulls up. And this is what the State Department has determined makes a um, a good uh, Foreign Service specialist. All right. First one is composure. Okay, but it's not just composure. Don't don't just read the 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 very top you know top line. Make sure you go in and and the great thing is is the State Department then goes in and defines what they mean by composure. You know, the next thing is cultural. The second dimension is cultural adaptability. All right. 
but we actually tell you what does cultural adaptability mean to the State Department. So read that. It's extremely important that you're reading these 12 dimensions because this is what we hire to. And when I first started this job, I used to tell people, you know, make sure you come up with a good story. Having sat the Bex panel a few times, I'm like, make sure you come up with a great to outstanding story. Sure. <laughs> um, because, you, you know, you, you, you're, you're trying to show how you are going to uh, be a benefit to the State Department, right? You're coming in, you have these skills, and these skills um, you then can um, succeed and be successful in the State Department in the environments that we have to work. So go in there, make sure that, that you're, like I said, not just reading, oh, okay, composure, cultural adaptability, experience and motivation. No, that you're reading what is required. And then think about your life. And think about all aspects of your life, right? Your, your professional, your personal, your academic, and then come up with a few examples for each, each dimension. So that way, when you have to write about in, on the online assessment, you're going to have to give us some personal narratives about five or six. You already have it ready to go, right? You've already thought about it. Yeah, this will be a great example for, for you know, how to be innovative and leadership qualities, right? Um, you know, you, you want to demonstrate how you're going to be value added, that you come in with the skills required to be successful. Of course, we're going to train you. That's that's not, you know, there's there's no argument there. Um, but you know, you do have to have the basic skills to get in. Do you have any questions, comments, observations? Your own observations? You made yeah, it through. No, I, I I tell them some of the same things, not uh, directly from the source like you, but uh, particularly the stories and how they can relate those twelve dimensions. And think of your personal life. Think of your career, uh, and and. I always tell them like, don't, don't over embellish, but don't under embellish, like find a time when you were in charge and you did this for your leadership and find a time when you had to adapt to a culture. You don't have to have travel. Maybe there's someone from a different culture uh, that works in your current department or, and uh, you know, and, and get people thinking in advance that this may be a topic or this will be a topic that could come up, particularly if you get past the first portion, the online portion, it's going to come up at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's one of the things we cover for people that did pass the test, whatever I, I mentor folks. Um, but otherwise, for, let me ask you this for the writing portion at the beginning, I have people that are concerned about the writing portion and, and, and uh, you know, and I, I'm not saying, I don't know if you can give tips, but what might be, uh, oh, what is being looked for, I guess. I mean, I always say, listen, clear and concise, uh, introduction, body, conclusion. That's what we're looking for. But I don't know if I'm right. I think I'm right. Uh, you tell me. I think you're right too. No, 100% clear and concise. You, you, uh, and 100%, you don't want to under embellish. I, I like the way you put that. You know, um, I, that's, I see too many people underselling themselves when they have done truly remarkable things and they don't come out and talk about, talk about it, or they don't know how to expand upon it, or they take a very narrow view, but they don't bring in other aspects of, of what it was, what was involved. Um, so the writing has to be impactful and clear and concise as, 
as best you can get it, right? Make sure you're not using the same word in, in, in one sentence, right? Um, you know, I've, I've, I've definitely read paragraphs like that where uh, they're, they're trying to make the point and next thing you know, they've used the same word three times in the sentence and, you know, you get thesaurus, right? Just use it. It's okay. Um, so, you know, and the other thing is, is the job uh, vacancy announcement doesn't open for another couple of weeks, right? About two weeks. Um, you know, I've just told you the 12 dimensions are on there. Come up with that great story. Write about it, right? Take some time and just write about it. It'll help you get it in your head better. Um, it'll help you lay it out. And then, okay, get your loved ones who are going to be as, you know, usually the harshest critics, right? Our harshest critics are those that supposedly love us, right? Um <laughs> But, you know, get, get your friends, get your family, people that you trust, people that you know are good writers and ask them, hey, what do you think about this paragraph? Is this a good one? Does it have everything it needs? Does it get the point across? Um, it's OK, right? You, there is going to be a time that you're going to have to write your own pair, you know, your own essay on your own. Nobody's going to be there to, to help you. Um, but there's nothing wrong with asking somebody to to read what you've written. If you, if you are worried about the written part, well then practice it, right? Take it, you know, you should know about what's going on in the world anyway, go in there and talk about Kazakhstan, right? You know, go into an article and say, okay, Kazakhstan, what's going on there? Well, I'm going to write just a quick summary of what's going on, right? Based on, you know, I'm not saying you have to go out and write, read 10 different articles if you want to, I don't care. Um, but just write something about it, right? Practice getting it down, have somebody read that to you, you know, read that and then say, yeah, this is good. Or, you know what, you, this could be, you could say it a different way. This is tighter. Um, you know, so that when the time comes that you have to write these personal narratives, it'll go a little bit faster. And then also uh, hopefully when you get to the backs and you do have to write an essay that, you know, you get a certain, you get set amount of time, 45, basically 45 minutes, write an essay on a topic. You were on your own, right? So now you've but the, the thing of it is, is you're not walking in there cold. You've been doing this the entire time. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's a good tip. Um, I'd also add, and this is more logistical, but it's you can't apply this on a whim. You can't just sit down and say, oh, I'm going to knock it out 30 minutes and there's people, you know, family cooking in the background. You need to set aside some time, set aside some time where it's quiet, where you have a computer with some good internet um, and take your time and focus. This is not, not to say it's hard, it's competitive. Right. So you, you, the exam, I never thought any of that was hard, but compared to others, uh, it be, you want to do your best. You don't want to just pass. You don't want to make the minimum requirements. You want to do your best. And I think people need to focus. I've had people, uh, you know, follow me for a while and they said, I've been following you. And I went and I applied and, and, uh, man, I didn't make it. I didn't pass the first round. I said, well, how long did it take you? Ah, about 37 minutes. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> you need to, you know, it's not, you don't just apply on a whim. This is not like, uh, you know, click attach resume and send on a USA jobs. And those are, are complicated in themselves, but this is really detailed, uh, you know, a really detailed application process and with a lot of nuance to it. Um, and uh, so I think that's important that people prepare. A hundred percent prepare and practice. Um, you know, your statement of interest, why do you want to be a DSS agent and why do you want to join the, the U S state department and be in, a foreign service uh, officer, really, and be a diplomat. Why do you want to do that? And 
I've been doing this now for about a year and a half and you wouldn't be, you'd be surprised how many people I've, I've talked to just personally. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I ask them that question and they stumble through the answer and you, you can't, unfortunately you can't, um, you have to have thought that out and a statement of interest, you're going to write it. Um, you know, and if you get through the Bex panel in some form or fashion, like all job interviews, why do you want this job? Um, and you're going to be sitting in front of a panel. And the first time you sit in front of a panel, you know, shouldn't be the first time you're sitting in front of us. Go out and practice this. Ask your friends to sit down, ask your family, um, put your dog in there. I don't care who it is. But no, you know, go in there and and practice um, so that when questions are asked, you give good, clear, concise answers. You only at the Bex panel, you only have an hour and it's it's partly on you to help manage that time. Um, if you're rambling, then you're, you're going to run out of time and then you don't get you don't, you don't get those points. So we want to make sure, you know, you've said it, I've said it clear, concise, impactful. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a good bit of listeners that have made it past the uh, online portion and they're waiting on their becks. And I think it's delayed now, right? It's, it's not going on at the moment. Um, For the next month. Next yes. month, okay. And uh, some guidance I always give is, is pretty much what you're saying. Speak out loud, right? Talk out loud if you're going you're gonna to practice. Do it out loud. Listen to yourself. Say it because you'll hear things like, oh, I don't, I don't want to say that. You can't just internalize it. Um, and I do that for like presentations and I found it helps me so much. I didn't do that. My first couple of times applying to DS I did for my third time, which, you know, three strikes, I made it on the third one. Um, but, but I <laughs> learned that as through life that like, if I speak out loud, I will be more prepared and I will speak more eloquently, um, and, uh, more clear and concise, you know? So, um, well, good. Anything else? Any tips? We, we just went over tips, but like uh, anything else? Um, I'm just trying to look through, um, you know, like I said, I just don't want people to make simple mistakes that then they don't even get past that, that first online assessment. Right. Um, so, you know, when you do the online assessment, um, the first you're going to have to do the, you're going to have to do the checklist, of the, the pre-qualification, or I guess I call it the pre-screening of minimum qualifications. Like I said, don't, don't click that. You're not world. I mean, look, if you're not worldwide available, you might wonder why you're, you might have to assess why you're doing, why you're applying. Um, but you need to be worldwide available. You need to agree to that. Um, no, you've probably never failed a suitability review. If you have, then you need to be honest, right? If we find out later, then you're done. Um, so, you know, make sure that you're reading every single word and sentence uh, and, and, and truly having a correct understanding of it. Then you're going to get to the second stage, which is you're going to have to write an essay. You get 20 minutes to write it. Um, and this is kind of, I guess, where I was thinking about more about practice too, right? You, you, you have to do it in the, in the online assessment website. So make sure, you know, you can't cut and paste, right? But there will be um, spell check. There will be a word count, you know, make sure you hit 200, 200 words minimum. If you do not, um, then you automatically fail. It's an automatic fail. All right. After that, you're going to have to go to the third stage, which is 40 to 45 questions. And these are just kind of general knowledge questions. Some are general knowledge, some are more about security, um, 
you know, basic stuff. It's not hard, but you do have to have an understanding of what's, uh, what's going on in the world and, and, you know, um, you know, just, yeah, what's going on in the world, really. Um, if you get to that, if you pass the second and third stage, the written and then the exam, then you go on to that, that fourth stage, which is where this is where you're going to give us your personal narratives and your statement of interest and upload all of your documents that the vacancy announcement asks for. You know, check, double check, triple check, make sure you have everything, make sure you've uploaded the correct documents. Um, don't upload your rent agreement. We're not interested in what you're paying for rent. We do care about your transcripts. Um, so, you know, don't, don't, don't self-select out is basically what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, you know, we want, we want good people coming in and, and good people can make simple mistakes. So just don't, don't make that simple mistake. I think this might be a question. Can you, if you don't have all your documents available in PDF format or, or on whatever computer you're using, can you go back? Is there, is it a portal that you can log back into and upload your documents later, or you need to have everything prepared to submit in that shot? So I would say, you know, when that, that vacancy announcement drops, you know, on or about the, the 26, right? It could always slide just a little bit, right? But on or about the 26, um, you know, I would have, I would look at last year's announcement, have all the documentation that they've asked for there, have it ready to go. They could always ask for something else. I can't promise you it's always going to be the same, but they could ask for something else. But you know, you need your transcripts, right? You need, and we will take unofficial transcripts. Um, but again, name, degree, the university, and the date it was awarded, right? Those four things. Um, so, you know, make sure you have those. Um, so what happens is, is when you hit, so the second and third stage, I'm sorry, the, that second stage where you're doing, yeah, the second and third stage where you're doing the timed essay for 20 minutes and then the exam of 40 to 45 questions, those are timed. And once you start it, you need to stop, right? So don't, don't have someone, like you said, cooking in the background. Don't let your dog come in or your cat tip over your drink onto your computer. Be in an enclosed room where you can focus and whatever it takes to focus, that you focus and you get it done. Those are timed. Once it starts, you only have a set time. Now, when you get to that fourth stage and you're uploading your personal narratives, your statement of interest, your documents, um, that is you have to have everything in by the last day of the vacancy announcement. So if it closes on February 1st at midnight, that portal closes. There, there is no more uploading, right? You have to have everything in, and that's important. You can't go back and say, oh, I just got my transcripts. Sorry. When the portal closes for that particular vacancy announcement, it's done. Um, but you do have that, that week to get it in, right? So if you go, if you go on the, I, should, I say week, you know, if you go on the first day, then you have a week to get the rest of the stuff in, right? If you wait till that last day, whatever that last day is, I'm just going to, um, so if you wait till that last day and you're thinking, oh, I got two hours, I got this. You probably don't. Okay. Right. Like you yeah. said. So you can't, so you can't apply say day one and then you don't have everything as in it's on another computer or it's not a PDF because you got it mailed to you. On day three, you can go back into your online portion and upload that to finalize. Yes. You just need to finalize it with all the documents before the end of the closing date. Is what right. I'm, Eastern okay. Standard Time. Right. Gotcha. So Eastern Standard Time. Okay. 
Eastern Standard Time. Whenever it hits Eastern Standard Time, midnight at Eastern Standard Time on that last day, that's when it closes. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. It doesn't matter if you're sitting in California. Lucky you. Um, I'm freezing right now. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you're sitting in California and you're like, wait, I, it said till midnight. No, it's, yeah, midnight Eastern Standard Time. You got till nine. So, you know, make sure, like I said, that's where reading it uh, very closely becomes important. Um, but yes, that's the nice thing. So if you, if you do the, the first part that's timed at the very beginning, then you have days to get everything together. Double check it, right? You may upload everything and you think, all right, I'm good to go. And you're like, you know what? I'm just going to give myself another day because I have it, right? Um, and then you come back the next day and you're like, oh, I forgot my transcript or, oh, I forgot my degree. Um, whatever it is, right? Um, we want you to, you know, it, it gives you that time. I want you to have that time too, so that, um, you know, when we're rushing is when mistakes are usually going to happen. Sure. Well, some people have some work cut out for them. <laughs> but it's doable, right? I mean, oh, come sure. on. Let's be real. You made it. I made it. A lot of, you know, 2,100 so folks made it. Um, it's a great job. You know it is. Um, I, you know, and I really appreciate that you do this. Uh, this is great. And I think it's a lot of good information. The other, the only other thing I would say is if you have questions, you know, please don't, you know, please don't hesitate to reach out to the recruitment unit. You can find us at D S R E C U. So D S at state.gov. <clears throat> okay. We're there, we're there to help you. Right. I mean, we really are. There are right now three agents and an SEO plus a program manager and a data analyst. Our full-time job right now is to go out and find great people um, and talk to you, you know, talk to you folks that follow you, um, you know, to, to, to help you out however we can. And um, we go on different podcasts. We go on different uh, social media live events. We do different information sessions. Uh, we do small group information sessions, um, and we do one-on-one, one-on-ones for people as well. So, you know, please don't, don't hesitate. We're here for you. That's what we want. Well, this has been some great intel for folks, not only about the career, but about, uh, you know, the candidate experience and recruitment <laughs> process. Um, any closing thoughts? No, I, the only thing I would say is if this is really what you want to do, um, and the, you know, you don't make it through, but you really do want to do it. Don't give up. Right. I know a lot of really great agents and foreign service officers that had to take this a couple times. It is competitive. And when you don't make it, it doesn't mean that you're not a good person. You're not good enough. It just means go out and get some more experience and come back to us. Um, the average age is of an agent uh, right now is somewhere around 31, 32. Uh, foreign service officers are starting to push up into 34, 35. Um, you know, you need some experience. I, I shouldn't say that's the average, right? But you, you, need, you need experience. Experience helps, but being able to articulate is the most important aspect of this. Yeah. So, but don't give up. Honestly, don't give up. If this is really what you want to do, don't give up. Agreed. Awesome. Well, awesome having you here. Um, well, thank, thank you. you for sharing your story and providing some guidance for us. And uh, yeah, let's. Uh... 
let's end there and uh, sit tight. I'm going to stop recording and then uh, we'll chat a little bit. All right. Thank you. So there it is. Straight from the source. Those of you applying, listen to Kayla's guidance and instructions, then listen to it again. Read the announcement multiple times and understand the nuance to every single requirement. Small details matter. Uh, so listen, hey, wishing you all the best. As always, I'm here to support you in your special agent career endeavors. You can contact me uh, a number of ways through my social media uh, on Instagram at offthex underscore inc or through my email info at codyperron.com. Uh, but I have developed a few resources for all you, for, for, for you if you haven't. If this is the first time you have heard the podcast, uh, I do have a few resources. So I will start with that I'm not a member of the government or DSS any longer. The information I provide is from experience and the intel I garner from uh, friends that are agents and uh, those that, who uh, I've supported that have gone through the process. So first resource, Facebook group, Becoming a DSS Agent, where former, retired, and active DSS agents of all levels interact. They ask and answer questions, uh, and you can ask just about anything. We had uh, someone ask the other day, hey, can I bring my pets overseas? Well, you know, there's answers to that. There's a lot of uh, good questions that come out of it. Uh, so if you're interested, go ahead and uh, look it up on Facebook. Just fill out the questions. I need to know who you are. I need to know your interests, and I want to make sure you know the right people are in the group. Second resource, YouTube channel. I have a YouTube channel where you can just uh, type in my name, Cody Perron, and I answer questions about lifestyle uh, as an agent, the job, the travel, working with Marine security guards, leadership and i touch on a couple other things so second resource go ahead and check out the youtube channel third is my social media i'm primarily as mentioned on instagram off the x underscore inc uh i share global security knowledge events sometimes i share uh you know real events and and do like these uh what, what would you do scenarios right if you're the rso if you're the regional security officer or the ds agent in charge or if you're just a security professional overseas you know managing uh in the corporate side and what would you do in these scenarios, right? And then I ping people. They they write me, hey, here's what I would do. I tell them, yes, maybe, good, consider this. Um, and it might help you. It might prove useful. Just saying. Finally, the only one of these that is not free, all the others are free, go check them out. But you can also uh, buy my book, Agents Unknown, True Stories of Life as a Special Agent in the Diplomatic Security Service, where several reviews have said it prepared them well for the DS interview. So I'm not saying for the DS application in the beginning, but towards the end, it might help you. What I do there is I tell stories, what my mindset was behind these different events, and I kind of walk you through it. So check it out. Uh, book can be purchased on my website, CodyParon.com, where I throw in a little something extra on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble Online, Kindle, iBooks, and other places. I also have an audio version available. It's on Audible. It's on iBooks. It's probably a couple of the spots, too, but... Uh, those are the, the main the, the main ones. And if you think any of this is valuable, you can feel free to support me by going to my website. I have online sales. I have some shirts. I have a couple high threat protection hoodies. And I'm soon coming out with a hat. I'm in the development process. I've probably promised you guys this at least on YouTube, you know, months ago. But I'm actually in the stages, spent some money on getting this developed. So the hats are going to be pretty cool. Uh, when those come out, you can check those out if you want to support me. Uh, but 
mainly I do this for free. I am appreciative of the support, and I hope you all feel that I'm supporting you. I know how it feels to be in that situation. I understand the anxiety and the desire to want to succeed. And like Kayla said, uh, don't give up. If this is something you want, don't get up. Cool? All right. The more support we get, the more info more mo- uh, I can give, the more motivated I am. And, uh, you know, the more we can get together and learn about the diplomatic security service. So thanks again, y'all. Appreciate the support. Out.